The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds, leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, smash the like button. Like your Brandon Davies, you have consent. And don't forget while you're here, also go ahead and subscribe to the CBS Sports College Basketball YouTube channel if you haven't done that already. Let's get into it. The only game over the past three days between two ranked teams happened Tuesday night inside FedEx Forum. Final score. Number 23 for now, Memphis 74, 22 Virginia, 54. That's a 23-point win for Penny Hardaway's Tigers. So Memphis is now 9-2 and two with seven wins inside the first two quadrants. The only other team in the nation with seven wins inside the first two quadrants is top-ranked Purdue. First question, dead leg. Will you fly to Memphis to cover the Tigers National Championship Parade in April, or will you pass on that opportunity under the assumption that I could probably just do it myself since I live there? Yeah, I've never gone to Memphis, and you are the reason, basically, because whenever there would be a reason for me to go, well, you're already there. Uh, but I would love to attend and, and cover a Memphis uh, parade. Yeah, we'll Although, fly be, you down for the parade. To be fair, I didn't even cover the Yukon parade in April, so what do you want from me here? Uh, Memphis. Tigers, when was the last time we started a show on the Tigers of Memphis and it wasn't for a negative reason? Honestly, it's maybe, maybe, maybe never. No, I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe one of the victories over Houston. It, it yeah. cannot be common. I it, don't recall. It, it, it has not happened often. Um, and uh, Memphis and Providence, so you're kind of 1A, 1B here. But we have to go with the Tigers because right now the Tigers are the better team. They have the better resume. Uh, a quick refresher on those wins that GP mentioned in the top two quadrants. And that is one heck of a stat as we sit here five days before Christmas, matching Purdue for the most W's in Q1 and Q2. So they beat Michigan they beat Arkansas down in the Bahamas before falling in the title game. Uh, it was a blowout loss, but it was a loss, uh, a loss on the same against against Villanova. Then they came back. Um, they are the victim of the uh, lone, like really, really good, notable win for Ole Miss, which continues to to win close games and is still undefeated after playing earlier this week. One of four left. Then. Memphis got a road win in OT against VCU. It won 
10 days ago at Texas A&M and now has, has been able to beat Clemson and Virginia. So it has, uh, it has piled them up nine and two quick thought on the game. Cause I watched it. David Jones court report will publish later on Wednesday morning. And in that I have sort of a, we're 44 days into the season and I, I ranked out the top 10 national player of the year candidates. I have David Jones on that list at number seven, especially after last night, he continues to be the engine for this team. He had 26 points in this game, didn't miss a foul shot. And while, you know, they got some, some good contributions here and there from Caleb Mills, Quinterly, Dandridge, it's, it's, it's the David Jones show. And he is now becoming the breakout player in the entire country um, for him to have done this and, and gone five straight games with 20 or more points. Um, I saw it yesterday. I think RJ Davis is the only player with the streak that's longer. I think RJ Davis has gone six straight with 20 or more. Uh, Jones is now at five straight. He's averaging, you know, 21 points a night and has helped Memphis Go 4-0 against ranked competition this season, GP. The last time that happened with Memphis, where it won four straight games against ranked opponents, was from 96 to 97. Not even the Calipari era did this happen there. Um, I got a thought on Virginia, but I'm going to save that. Let's let's focus in on Memphis here. Uh, Tigers are definitely better than the 23rd best team in the country. I, I think Memphis has a case, having watched them play now five or six times this season, um, it has a case to be in that top 10, top 12 kind of discussion from a resume standpoint, certainly. But I'm talking about when you actually watch and play what Penny Hardaway is doing. And oh, by the way, Naquan Tomlin has been cleared and he will be joining the team soon. So they're going to get even better. Your thoughts on your alma mater, GP? Well, just to um, address something you just said, um, I moved Memphis up to number nine in Wednesday morning's top 25 and one. Again, when you start going through the resumes, the strengths of their wins is super strong. I mean, they've got six wins over power conference teams. Louisville has two wins over power conference teams in the entire Kenny Payne era. Memphis has six wins over power conference teams in its past 10 games. Got five wins over top 55 Ken Palm teams. That's Texas A&M, Clemson, Virginia, Michigan, Arkansas. Five wins away from home. Over top 100 Ken Palm teams. Um, when you look at the strength of the resume, I, I think it's a top 10 resume in the country right now. I moved them up to, to number nine. I, I dropped um, Virginia down. Um, that was a listen, Memphis, since I FedEx Forum looks like it's going to be tough for anybody this season, but Virginia got blown out. You got to pay a price for that. Um, they're, they're in the David Jones thing. Like we've talked about it before, when we submitted our ballots for the top 101 players in college basketball in the preseason, I did have him on my ballot, but that was based on nothing more than what I had heard coming out of preseason workouts. It was not based on what he did last season at St. John's. It was not based on anything he's ever done in college. You know, he played at two different Big East schools, uh, DePaul, St. John's, and there's nothing, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's nothing he did there that suggested this was about to happen. He's giving hope to <laughs> 2,000 players that want to hop in a transfer portal right now. That's really what he is the transfer portal hero. You're right. There was no indication it was going to be like this, but 
Uh, he's he's fun as hell and and i'm jo- i i love these stories that pop out of nowhere uh yeah you did have him on your top 100 ballot but no one on the planet except maybe david jones and his blood relatives thought that this might be capable and possible in this season and he is the biggest reason why memphis has aspirations beyond just competing for an american athletic conference championship and you know hoping to get in as like an eight or nine seed things have now been elevated uh in that room with penny hardaway and, and jones leading the team well that's why Penny scheduled this way. He, he they, Memphis has been in the eight nine game each of the past two years, and obviously, if they'd have got out of it last year, it is set up nice because they were in the same little pocket where Purdue got upset. So they would have played Fairleigh Dickinson in the round of thirty two and been a double digit favorite to go to the Sweet Sixteen. As it is, because of some goofy final minute stuff, Florida Atlantic advances, goes to the Final Four. The rest, as they say, is uh, is history. But Penny wanted to give his program an opportunity to not play in the 8-9 game. And given that Florida Atlantic was the only obvious place you were going to be able to get good wins in your league, you got to load up in the non-league. And he, he loaded up. He, he basically you know, let the country know, if you're a power conference team of quality, we will play you. We'll start it at our place. We'll come to your place. Just tell us what to do. And it has gone incredibly well. And now, for what it's worth, um, Kimpom has Memphis favored in every remaining game besides at FAU on March 9th in the regular season finale. So this could, could, I emphasize the word could, not will, but could hmm. turn into a long uh, winning streak that, that, you know, has people, you know, I, I, I might be the first person to get Memphis into the top 10 this morning, but they keep playing this way and keep winning, then everybody will eventually get them there. And on the David Jones thing, it's just sort of a reminder of how Penny's philosophy to roster building has changed so dramatically since he became a college head coach. He's the classic example of somebody who is quite literally learning on the job. Like it is possible. He didn't know what he was getting into. In fact, I think if you were talking to him, he would tell you he didn't properly grasp what it meant to run a high major college basketball program when he was hired off the campus of East high school to run a high major college basketball program. But, but he seems to be learning as he goes and figuring it out, which is um, in, 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 like I mean that as a compliment. Not everybody is smart enough to learn as they go and to adjust on the fly. And he clearly has. In year two, season opener, he started five freshmen. Right now he's starting four transfers. And everybody's 22, 23, or even older. They're old. They're experienced. They come from all over the place. They weren't heralded high school players, but they are very good, experienced, older college basketball players. And they built – what appears to be a, um, a, a, a great team. Um, and I, I was sort of thinking about this, and then I'll turn it back over to you. I was at Penny's introductory press conference, and I wrote a column off of it. And it was just sort of explaining, because I, just like I discovered LaMelo Ball and Mickey Mitchell. Of course. Jalen Hood-Shafino, the list is long at this point. Kelly Oubre, we could go on, but we, Kelly Oubre, we don't have time. We got Not on a Wednesday. Of course. But just like I discovered all them, I uh, I was the first person to like scream, they have to fire Tubby Smith and hire Penny Hardaway. So when they actually did it, I went to the introductory press conference, wrote a column, and then it sort of explained, I don't even remember what the column was about, frankly, but I think I explained, like, this is why this had to be done, and this is why... Regardless of where it goes from here, this is the only sensible thing for them to do now. And every single time that James Wiseman would quit the team 
or Amani Bates would go home to Michigan with a mysterious back issue, or Memphis would have to contact Trace out its entire team from a Tennessee game because enough players didn't get vaccinated. Anytime something went wrong, people from fans of opposing schools would quote tweet it. I mean, it had, I don't know, you could find it. Uh, there's just one quote tweet after another, after another. Oh, is it still sensible? Oh, was this still smart? Hey, I thought this was going to work out. Hey, this is what happens when you hire a high school coach. Should have known what would happen when you hire a high school coach. Quote tweeted nonstop. I bet I ain't seen that column in two years. And I bet I haven't heard anybody refer to Penny Hardaway as a, quote, high school coach in years now. He's changed the way people perceive him by being very good at his job. And now, even though he was a high school coach when he got hired at Memphis, and even though he had never even worked on a college campus before he got the job at Memphis, he is now a coach of a team people think can go to the Final Four. And he owns victories over Tony Bennett. Dan Hurley, Kelvin Sampson, Bruce Pearl, Eric Musselman, Greg Marshall, Rick Barnes, Ben Howland, Nate Oates, Randy Bennett, so on and so forth. He's um he's proven himself. I, I don't know that um it was smart to be entirely skeptical of him when he got hired, like some people were, because I was not. I was a believer. Um, but even if you were skeptical of the hire, you, you have to, if you're being honest with yourself. Um, look in the mirror now and and say that the um, they got it right. It's been bumpy. It's been a bit of a roller coaster. Absolutely. But but he went to the tournament in 22, went to the tournament in 23, and I don't want to be hyperbolic, but he looks like he has a team that could at least compete for a chance to maybe win the tournament in 24. Yeah, we'll we'll see. That's that's not hyperbolic, but we got to get a, a little more in here. Um, yeah, yeah, and I'm not su- suggesting that you're uh, whitewashing everything up to this point, but it was. Yeah, I mean, come oh on. no, it was rocky. Was it was- like it was, it was definitely rocky, and you know, and I to me, it never got to the point where people were thinking that uh, Memphis should shift off of Hardaway, but um, his program. Hell, we I, I think we joked about it even earlier this season on the show. Just you know, it, it would. With regularity, there would be issues uh, yeah. with the program. And yeah, we did because it was the Jordan Brown stuff as well. Yeah, so yeah there's still no, issues. There's still, still issues. Right now. But getting it down on the floor, that's what fans care about most. Yes. And um, I'll just, I'll I'll wrap it up by, by this. You know, it was huge last night from a game standpoint um, with, you know, Virginia wants to get it going you know, in the stickiness and Memphis, you know, it, it wanted to, it wanted to make sure that it was going to play the games on its, its terms. And for the most part it did because it was a 69 possession game, which was the fewest possessions Memphis played all season, but it was also the most possessions Virginia had played all season. And in doing so, Virginia allowed a season high 77 points here. And Memphis was able to turn Virginia over 18 times on Tuesday night. Virginia had not uh, turned a, and turn over that many times in the game this season. And, you know, the Tigers turned that into 27 points uh, by starting off. I mean, the game was 13 to one, four minutes in uh, that really set the tempo. And if you don't let Virginia dictate early, then that's how you get your biggest advantage. And beyond that, it was the defense that was impressive because Isaac McNeely for Virginia, you know, he entered the game shooting 55% from three point range, which will eventually regress to the mean, obviously, but that was the best in the entire sport. Guess what? McNeely went 0 for 5 from three-point range last night after averaging three threes per game going into uh, going into Tuesday night. So uh, credit to the Tigers. You're, you're looking well. Uh, what comes next? I got that for later in the show. But um, 
But yeah, I'm with you. I think we're, I'm with you on this un- undoubtedly. Memphis is a top 10 resume. Um, is it a top 10 team? I'm certainly thinking about it. It is inarguable when you have watched this team play, taking everything into account. That is a top 15 team in the country right now. And uh, hey, 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 American Athletic Conference. You got a good one, too, right there with them and FAU. Uh, best possible scenario, I think, so far to this point in the non-con with those teams performing the way they have. Two more non-league games, Vanderbilt, Austin P. Then it's an 18-game AAC schedule. Congrats to the Tigers on an awesome start to the season. Shouts to Big Glow. There you go. Shouts to Big Glow. Memphis wasn't the only team that got a big win on Tuesday. Providence did, too. We'll talk about the Friars next. First, a word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this, too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Big development Tuesday night. Final score, Providence 72, Marquette 57. Devin Carter got 22 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists. Marquette only shot 31.1% from the field, 20% from three. Ain't going to win many road games doing that. Dead leg, did you learn more about Marquette of Providence last night? To me, it's Providence. Uh, that was, uh, you know, the moment of arrival for the Kim English era. Uh, I mean, 10 and two, Friars had had some nice wins. They had, you know, they they completely uh, kept Wisconsin out of it early on in the season. And I, and I watched that game. Uh, but other than that, uh, not a ton. Uh, they played uh, a heartbreaker against Kansas State um, down in where was that game? I watched that game. I think that was in the Bahamas. Um, Every game was then, in the Bahamas. Yeah, I know. And then uh, and then they were non-competitive. I didn't see the game because I was at Jimmy V, but they were non-competitive against Oklahoma earlier this month. But ten and two right now, and yeah, to me it is it is about the Friars who got their biggest win over a top 10 team by margin in almost 13 years. And the thing that stuck out to me, you know, it's also important, you know, they get off to a good start. They're now, you know, technically for now, they're ahead of Marquette in the biggie standings. That stuff, uh, that stuff matters early on, but Marquette had an off night from shooting. And I thought province was a lot of that. Marquette only hit four, three pointers. It was four of 20 from three point range. And Marquette, if you look at what it's been under Shaka, it typically not never, but typically when it loses, it does not get blown out. And it was, blown out this game had a weird ending with like elongated reviews and frankly in real time the game finished about 10 minutes later than it should have um so that i almost feel like that stymied a little bit of uh the vibes inside the dunk there which nonetheless were, were terrific um but yeah to me it was this was about providence fox had a note afterward that i was unaware of but it's just, this is a heck of a stat in the past three seasons PC has more home wins than any team in the sport, GP. It's at last night was number 40. And then right behind them, Texas is at 39. Arizona and Kentucky, each a piece, have 38 home victories. But that is a house of horrors for Marquette. Uh, at least it has been of late. That the program has lost five straight against the Friars in that building. And PC was able to snap a Marquette program record of nine straight wins against Big East opponents. Uh, so to me, it said more about Kim English, Providence's viability as a top half of the Big East uh, program this season and getting it done and doing it in a way that Marquette is not normally accustomed to. Uh, my only other takeaway is in watching the game, 
when you get in even to the, you know, Devin Carter is just a dude. He he <laughs> he is ready to play against anyone at any time. But like Garway Duel showing uh, plenty of promise and flash as a freshman. He had a great dish uh, late. Fanta was on the call. He did a great job on the mic there. Uh, to me, this program still has, and a lot of this is that fan base, which is one of the best in the league, one of the best in the country. Uh, it has the same kind of edge. It has the energy that it had under Cooley. Uh, I think Kim coaches with a real edge. He's got players who are unafraid. They are willing and wanting to lean on each other. And I think a lot of that starts with Devin Carter. It's not a flawless roster, but they have a lot of good pieces and understandably going into the season, it was just kind of like, all right, we'll see on Providence. Like, yeah, they were not, they weren't picked in the bottom of the league, but no one was quite sure if this would be a tournament team, maybe a bubble team. Would it be in the NIT? It's obviously right now tracking to be in the tournament, although it has not yet gotten it done in large part away from home. Nevertheless, I like what I'm seeing. PC, you got yourself a squad. That was an awesome win. What were your thoughts? What was your takeaway? Was it more about Providence you or, or Marquette kind of coming up uh, way short in its first you know, big road test of the season? Spirit of transparency, I was flying last night. Um, no TV on the plane, so I'm limited to streaming one thing. Needless to say, I streamed the Josh show. <laughs> yeah, the, not not even the other team from Memphis, though, by the way. It was a huge night for Memphis, yes. It was a wild night in Memphis. Right? To, be, to be fair, a reminder to our audience, GP does have a daily two-hour show, uh, and he is employed by that NBA franchise. So, so yeah, I was, watching the, I was watching the Josh show, especially after the Tigers seem to have Virginia under uh, control. And then you get into those weird windows where, um, you know, uh, you're landing. And so now you no longer have the Wi-Fi and you're waiting to get the cellular service. And is a you don't want to be flying on a two. On, you know what? My original flight was like 1150. Delayed, delayed, delayed. Um, then took off, I think, maybe three minutes after the Grizzlies game started or something like that. I watched some of the Tigers game in the airport. It was a mess. It was a, it was a bad night to be flying. But um, so I didn't see, I, I, I've, I've read everything. I know the box score. Yeah. I can't talk about the details of the game, but I can't talk about what's happening at Providence right now. And Kim like came in and very smart in the sense that um, the priority was, I've got a good thing. I just got to keep it here. How do I keep these guys here? And he was able to, to keep important pieces as a part of the program, as opposed to watch them enter the transfer portal, which is what typically happens in a coaching change. He was very good at coming in and establishing relationships just like that and doing whatever needed to get done to, to make sure uh, those players remained on campus. And then to your point about the way that building looks, the way that fan bases rallied around Kim, rallied around this team, it reminds me, and I'm not just going to keep circling things back to Memphis, I promise, but it, it reminds me a lot of how Memphis fans rallied around Josh Pastor. Memphis fans at the, at the very beginning, like by the end, they wanted, they wanted Josh Pastor to go to Georgia Tech. But at the beginning, they wanted to rally around this guy, mostly because they wanted to prove they're bigger than the guy who just left them. That was a real thing that hurt to have John Calipari for nine years at Memphis tell the entire world every time anybody would ask, you don't need to be in a power conference to, to, to do anything in this sport. I can have the number one pick. I can go to the final four. I can win a national championship. I can get on national television. You, the only league that matters is the NBA. No league in college basketball matters. I can build everything from here. And then as soon as Kentucky offers him the job, he crawls there. Understandably, I would have too. But that hurt, that fan base. And you go back and look at Josh Pastner's first 
Midnight Madness or Memphis Madness. It was 18,000 people. They wanted to prove not only to the country or to John Calipari, but to themselves, we are bigger than the coach who just told us he don't want to coach us anymore. And I really do think Providence fans, I bet you they would tell you they want to do the same thing. They want to see Kim English succeed, of course, because he's Providence coach, and you want to see any Providence coach succeed. But they want to prove they're bigger than the guy who who just left them. And uh, at least through the early part of the season, they're doing a pretty good job. Real quick refresher on the Marquette resume. If uh, if you're listening, you don't uh, have it at the front of your mind here. Marquette's nine and three right now. The losses it had that really good matchup against Purdue, obviously in Maui. It lost there. It lost against Wisconsin. I think I might have misspoke earlier and said this was uh, Marquette's first true road test. I meant in the Big East. Um, but it uh, Wisconsin, that was a definitive loss for Marquette here. And then Providence. So the wins are counterbalanced by winning at Illinois, beating Kansas, beating Texas. Uh, and then a win over UCLA, which means nothing right now. We'll get to that shortly. Um, but it's going to turn around. It's got Georgetown at home in a couple of days. And then it gets Creighton at home on December 30th. That'll be a really awesome matchup and a really good uh, opportunity there for I'm definitely still in on Marquette. Obviously, uh, the loss here isn't stunning by any means, um, but you know they shut down Oso Igadaro Did Providence? I thought that was pretty pretty notable there uh, for what you know expectations would have been. Kolek had a good game. Cam Jones was all right. Uh, Ross and Joplin and the bench really didn't produce a ton, but they walked into a hornet's nest and Providence was was waiting, ready and waiting and uh, and some you know some nice little intrigue to start the Big East uh, slate, which obviously began in earnest this week. They're the Badger State champions. Got, beat Wisconsin, beat Marquette, Providence is your Badger oh, State champions. That that is that is hang a banner. There you go. Right? Why not? Everyone's hanging banners these days. So if the Lakers got an in-season banner, I don't know why you can't put a Badger State champion banner inside. Absolutely that. should. And don't think Kim English isn't thinking about it. So. Right. Just put a banner up. Just put a banner up. All right, dead leg. News and notes. What else do we need to know for the past few yeah, days? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So here's a here's a, a a few things uh a few things we should address before. We'll get another word from our partners. Don't you worry, that's coming, but not yet. Um, this happened late, so I'm adding it to the uh, the rundown here. UCLA lost at home to Cal State Northridge, CSUN, 76-72. Uh, you may not have been aware, but the nation's longest home game winning streak was snapped on Tuesday night because UCLA had won 29 in a row at Poly Pavilion. That is now done. I won't even trivia time you because I know there's no chance in hell you know. The longest win streak at home now is 21 games and belongs to Oral Roberts. UCLA dropping this game is a disaster. Five and five. I feel like it has been a weekly thing now that we have brought up the fact that UCLA has no tournament resume because it has no good wins. And now it has a quad four loss. Like yuck. Quad four. It could be. That is a. That's a two-seed line loss situation, but you know what? UCLA's not even in the picture right now. Um, so uh, I know you were traveling. You were getting in late. You didn't see this game. Uh, but before I get to the rest of the rundown, we at least have to address this because you are doing a terrible job running this program. Please explain yourself. Well, first thing we need to find out, and I could have done this. I just didn't. Did John Wood never win the NIT? <laughs> I don't think he... That's a good question. I don't think he did, but I'll put it at 13% that it happened. Okay. So you just have to recalibrate everything. What is Mick Cronin trying to do? Okay. Just add to the list of things he could do that John Wood never did. 2024 NIT champion, Mick Cronin's UCLA Bruins. No, I'm. 
I'm not surprised by this. I, I mean, obviously, I'm surprised by this. I'm surprised by what happened yeah, last night. <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm surprised they're five and five. What What I mean? Scrap that. Here's what I mean. Um, in the preseason, every time I would update the top twenty-five and one, or at least it felt like every time I'd update the top twenty-five and one, some UCLA fan would accuse me of being biased against UCLA because fans think you're biased against everything. Dude, do you realize Memphis fans the other day thought that? CBS Sports intentionally left the Tigers off the AP poll on the CBS Sports app because there was a coding error that went from 22 to 24. And they were convinced that that was intentional because people people are biased against Penny Hardaway. I was like, trust me, whoever's in charge of that app is probably sitting somewhere outside of Memphis and doesn't even know who Penny Hardaway is. (laughs) Relax. (laughs) But fans are sometimes crazy. Not all of them. But some of them, some of them, it felt like every time I'd update the top 25 and one, some fan would go, what about UCLA? Oh, you don't know because you didn't watch these international players, but you just wait. He, he, Mick is enrolling 13 Nikola Jokic's just wait. And I was like, all right, I'll just wait. Okay, cool. I'll just wait. But um, if you look at what they lost from last season's team, and look at what they were bringing back from last season's team and put big question marks on all the international guys. That's, uh, that's here we are. Put, uh, put just, uh, you know, adhere huge question marks to every one of these players. Yes. Yeah. Well, like they're hard to play basketball when you get a huge question mark just fastened to your back, which is exactly what you did. Yeah. They're, 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 they're leading score, at least as of this weekend when I saw him at the CBS Sports Class, it was like a borderline TEP 75 freshman. Yeah. I mean, that's a problem. You've got to learn how to coach this team. I know it's on me. I got to be better. I like it when coaches say I got to be better. <laughs> I got to be better. Yeah, you think? That's what coaches always say. It was on me. I, I got to be better. I don't have Cronin's quote, but he did. He was like kind of going, not kind of. He's he's gone after his team multiple times. This is a real test of his uh, of his profession and of his occupation of his vocation here. And some of this is obviously on him. I think he knows that, but. Uh, this is not going well, and it certainly doesn't seem like UCLA is going to the tournament. Uh, five and five. It's going to play Maryland on Friday. Maryland barely beat Nichols State I, because I because I it's my job, but also I sometimes can't look away. I watched the entire second half of that game, and I guess Maryland deserved to win, but these two Maryland doesn't have a top one hundred win, so one of those teams is going to lose on Friday, and season's going to be fully off the tracks at that point. Uh, not good. We can continue with the rundown here. Um, Florida beat Michigan in double OT, 106-103. Um, it was a captivating game. Both teams had opportunities to uh to get it. That's for sure. Wolverines are now six and six. Have ten. They're, t- they're sitting around for ten days until Will Wade shows up. That's their last non-conference game. McNeese State, who is a good. Oh, by the way, what team. what SEC job is Will Wade gonna get next? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Where's he coaching next? Because uh, that's happening. Uh, yeah. Will Wade is an SEC coach in the next five years. Yes or no? Oh, boy. Um, I'll say I'll say Will Wade. <laughs> oh, man. Why the hell not? I'll say he's in a power conference in the next five years. Yeah, like, I see it could be SEC, but yeah. yeah. Hugh Freeze is back at Auburn. There's always a path yeah, back to the true. SEC. College, you're awesome. Trying to get his college football on and uh, and why the hell not, right? Uh Michigan's defense is bad, dude. Uh, and they can, this program cannot sustain any momentum. Juwan Howard is back on the sidelines, as we noted in the recent episode. The strength and conditioning coach stepped away from the program. I just I can't imagine that's good for um, 
the environment around that program. But whatever, Michigan. Who's going to uh, tell them to lift weights? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's more than just that. I'm not going to simplify and, and, and do that to the strength. Guess, who, no, by the way, is, is a longtime beloved person in that program. And now he's not there. Like that's That's got to matter on some level. I'm not saying it's why Michigan lost the game on Tuesday night. Um, they look weak to me. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Florida. I thought it was actually a pretty big win for Florida uh, to get that win. And now you're eight and three instead of seven, four first four. Here's a little note. First four game win streak yet under Todd Golden uh, by virtue of that win. Florida is likely to be 10 and three when it opens up against SEC play January six against Kentucky. So Gators might have some relevancy here as we, uh, as we turn into 2024. And uh, if you watch the games, I am pulling was, was, Quite a player. He had a three with uh, 10 seconds left in overtime that got it to a second session. Tyree Samuel and Will Richard played well as well. Um, we mentioned Memphis earlier. Speaking of uh, a Memphis opponent, and speaking of a former pro NBA, of a former NBA player that's struggling right now, you got John Howard, you got Jerry Stackhouse, Western Carolina, which is actually a good team. SoCon stand up. SoCon had a good night for itself, but uh, Western Carolina went in and beat Vandy 63-62. And I mean, Stackhouse's job now seems like it might be uh, might be uh, out in the wind because Vandy's four and seven has been beaten at home this year alone. This year alone has been beaten at home by Presbyterian, Boston College, San Francisco, and Western Carolina. That's a yikesy. And now it's got to go play at Memphis in a couple of days. Good luck, Jerry Stackhouse. That's a bad situation. But again, SoCon stand up. Western Carolina won. It's got uh, Vontarius Woolbright, by the way. He's the him and Edie are the only players in the country, I think, right now that are top twelve in points and rebounds per game. Stud, he hit the deciding basket. Really, really good player. Shouts to him. In addition to that, Citadel out of the SoCon won over Notre Dame by twenty on Tuesday night. It's a bad year for Notre Dame, but still by twenty. Wow. And then uh, a shout out to Trey Bonham at Chattanooga. He just got cleared like a week ago as a two-time undergrad transfer, <laughs> and on Tuesday night. The fella hit a 50-footer at the buzzer to beat Gardner-Webb. Talk about an entrance. That's really, really good stuff. Um, and then on a somber note, uh, talked about the, I wrote about this earlier this week. Uh, we did have a North Carolina legend pass this week. Uh, Eric Montross, who was maybe the most important player on Dean Smith's second NCAA title-winning team in 1993. In fact, I think... I think if Montross isn't on that team, Dean Smith doesn't have a second national championship. I think he was that vital. He was the player on the cover after the one in 93. After This is the Weber timeout game. Um, he passed at 52 years old after battling what I believe was a relatively uh, short uh, encounter with cancer. It was announced in March that he had it. In October, uh, he revealed that he would not be able to be a part of... He's done North Carolina. He had done North Carolina radio for, I think, 18 years and was a constant presence around the program. Like, if you if you'd covered any North Carolina games in any capacity in Chapel Hill on the road, like Montross was there. He was doing the games. Uh, really positive spirit. I only had one or two encounters with him, but man, oh man, you want to talk about someone who had just a, a tremendous reputation uh, for years and years and years and years for what he did around the program, his philanthropic ventures. It's actually uh, cosmically cruel uh, in that um, I was talking with Brad Frederick, the uh, UNC assistant, and he said, you know, for a long time now, like Eric Montross had been raising money for children's cancer research. He would go frequently, not like once or twice a year, like monthly to uh, local hospitals to see sick cancer patients, take the Carolina players to do it. This was something that he made a part of his mission as a human being. 
And because of that, raised millions of dollars for cancer research and for him to be taken by this disease at the way, way, way too young age of 52 GP um, is is just so sad. Uh, a really, really good college player, was a top 10 NBA pick, had a great rookie season, journeyman eight-year career, and then he went back to Carolina. And as I wrote on Monday, to me, Montrose was the archetype of what it means to uh, pick a school, uh, become you know one of the better players in, in, in a program's history and still main, and, and do the kind of thing where it's not for everyone, but uh, for a lot of people, uh, it means a ton to them. And that is to have a meaningful, life-lasting connection to your alma mater. And I thought that Montrose embodied that as well as just about almost anyone. And particularly at a place like North Carolina, which seems to value that as much as any other place in the country, I thought it was uh, certainly notable. So thoughts and prayers with his with his family, with his loved ones. It's hard for me to think how this doesn't have, I have a, a reader uh, mailback question, today's court report on this. Um, well, I, because of how often he was around the program, it's hard for me to think how his death doesn't linger with that team. I mean, he played with Hubert Davis. Hubert Davis put out a statement, obviously, that he was devastated and understandably so. This feels like it might stick with the team for the rest of the season. Hopefully they can use it to uh, to to play for him and rally for him, but this is this this is a tough one, and so uh, we send our absolute best to Montrose and his loved ones. It's awful. Um, I got like I was live on a show, and uh, the the producer was like, "Hey, we got some breaking news," and I was like, "Oh wow!" So the Chiefs, I guess, uh, released Kadarius Tony or something, mm-hmm. and you just did. The, I didn't expect to hear that, and yeah. it was like Eric Montrose is dead. I was like, Eric Montrose is dead, and it was. I was like. My God, how old is he? He's 52. What? Yeah. And you're right. My understanding is that he was diagnosed in March, which means if we would have been at like North Carolina Duke game, because that's the thing. I, I, I'm I, not going to pretend I knew Eric Montrose well or even at all, really. But like I'd been in media rooms with him and walking around buildings with him for, you know, years. And he was always pleasant. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. How you been? Um, he was always pleasant. Every, everything. Again, I was hit live on the air with this, and so by the time I was done with that, everybody, it's, I didn't address it publicly. I didn't think I needed to because everybody else who knew him better than me was saying all the things that everybody that I would say. I, I had nothing to add. Um, it, but my my perception of him is everything you've read about him. That that was my impression of him. That that's the way I I uh, watched him carry himself as well, and. I just can't uh, just how unfair, like there's no other way to put it. Just unfair. Like, like that, that's not fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that, and the rest of us are out here just c- complaining about dumb stuff all the time. And, and, and let me be clear. This will not make me stop complaining about dumb stuff, but it does make me have a moment where I go, geez, man, I'm doing all right. I should maybe shut up. I'm doing all right. Um, I, I just can't ever get around. If we'd have been at that Duke Carolina game at the end of the regular season and we'd have seen Eric Montrose, and if we if we were taken a moment, we might have said to him, man, how you doing? And you know what he just said back? Man, I'm great. Life is wonderful. I'm doing great. And less than a year later, he's dead. Yeah. I, 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 it is, you know, I, I'm always struck by the randomness of life. And that's what it is, at least from my perspective. Mm-hmm. It's just randomness of life. Sometimes good things happen to good people, and that's awesome. Sometimes good things happen to bad people. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. That's this. Sometimes bad things happen to bad people. I don't put a lot of 
it's I don't think there's much rhyme or reason to it. I just think life is often sometimes unfair to people who deserve so much better. And that seems to be the case with Eric and his family. Like my heart just breaks for him. It, like, again, I can't imagine how his actual friends and loved ones feel because yeah. it, it, it rocked me pretty good. And I, I barely knew him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, rest in peace to a Carolina legend. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how UNC uh, opts to honor him uh, for the rest of the season and, and, and moving forward. That being said, um, we can, uh, Carolina's got a game on Wednesday night and that's uh, part of a really, really loaded Wednesday. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that will be a backdrop for, uh, for Oklahoma, but we'll get to that on the other side of this break. We do, however, need to get a word from our partners. So looking ahead to the next couple of days, on Wednesday night, uh, we got UConn Seton Hall. That's 7 Eastern on CBS Sports Network. I'm going to be in studio for that. That's why I'm here in New York. Mm-hmm. We've also got number 10 Baylor versus number 21 um, Duke inside Madison Square Garden. I believe, Deadleg, you're going to be in the building for that. I will be in the building for that. Um I have the court report will lead on Duke here on Wednesday. Uh, I talked with Shire recently. Um, and well, let's just let's focus in on this real quick as we get to the rest of the schedule here, because Duke, you can't claim that Duke is legitimate right now. I mean, seven and three, if anything, it's gotten the benefit of the doubt because of the name on the jersey that it has not fallen out of the AP top 25 yet. Uh, it was at one time five and three, which was only the second time in four decades that Duke had lost three of its first eight. If it were to lose against Baylor on Wednesday night, uh, it would mark just the second time since 82 that Duke had lost four of its first 11 games. And I think, as I write, it will um, it will introduce the first chapter of real adversity for Shire as a coach. Uh, while there has been a little bit of noise over what Duke has not been able to do so far this season, I think if you actually lose to Baylor in the Garden, good good team, but if you're at 7-4, and four, you will definitely fall out of the rankings. And it will, uh, I think on a national level, uh, really spark a conversation we haven't had yet. Um, Baylor's good. It's coming off this game against Michigan State. I don't know what to expect from Baylor, uh, but I will be in the building. I'm intrigued to watch this game. Um, it feels it feels like an unpredictable game to me in terms of what the result might be. Uh, the variance here seems pretty wide. Uh, one thing working in Duke's favor is that uh, it does a really good job protecting the ball. In fact, um, it uh, it's only turning over uh, turning itself over nine times per game. That is fifth best in the sport right now. And Baylor is not uh, adept at turning teams over. And again, Baylor's offense is is really good. We will see. Um, we will see if Baylor opts to neutralize Filipowski, which obviously that will be part of the objective. But I'll tell you what, part of the thing here is that Filipowski, I mean, I've got him as a top five player of the year candidate right now. And Shire told me, this is in the in the court report story, that if Duke's going to be a top 10 team, Filipowski has to be an All-American. Kind of an obvious statement, but they got a lot of talent. Like, you could could you maybe see a situation where that's not the case? Not for Shire. And yet, he's played like that. Duke is 7-3. and three. It's not top 20 team in the country. I don't think it's top 25 right now. A Baylor win would change my opinion on that, GP. Um, but will they almost like sometimes coaches and teams you know, doesn't even matter the sport, I guess might say that guy's going to get his, if we can shut down the, the pieces around him, I like our chances. Maybe Baylor goes for that. I don't know. We'll see really compelling game. Seven Eastern tip on ESPN. I'm with you. If, if Duke doesn't win this game, I will. I, I think you almost have to get him out of the top 25 and one just because I mean, their only good win would be over Michigan state. And we don't know what Michigan state is. Right. Um, so I, I think, listen, if you're Baylor and you just got your brains beat in, it's a big game for both teams. It is. It's a it big is. game for both but teams. It's more urgent for Duke, in my opinion. I think so, just because, you know, if Baylor loses another game, it, it's not going to lead 
get up on ESPN, right? Um, but but <laughs> not a chance, not a chance, in certainly not in football season. All right, <laughs> actually, Duke losing is not going to get up. Canarius Tony probably that, is right. Good. Yeah. But you get my point. Uh, Duke. What would, Duke. what would have to happen in this game for it to lead get up? That's the question. Shire uh, takes off his shirt and gets ejected. I think it would. Shirtless Shire. I think shirtless Shire would do it. Scott Drew got to throw not one shoe, but two, two, two thrown shoes. Or, or Scott Drew calls John gets caught on a live mic calling John Shire in MF and P. I don't even know if that leads get up even at that level. I'm not sure if it can break through the barrier, to be honest. It should, but wouldn't uh, that be hilarious though? If Scott, Scott Drew got caught on a live mic. That would be. <laughs> calling John Shire, MF and P talk about something you is impossible to envision happening. Like that. <laughs> Do you think Scott Drew has ever called anybody an MF and P? Uh, I'll now, I'll never say a college basketball coach is ever incapable of using that kind of language, but Drew seems way less likely than almost anyone else. Get, see if you can get Bryce Drew to send you an audio message with should that. I, should, should, so I have this. This is Bryce, and I don't. And, care. and then you want Scott with the other one? Yeah. yeah. No, I want Bryce on. If if Scott refuses to say it, which I respect, then we got to push Bryce. Okay. <laughs> we get Bryce to just give us a drop of he's an MFMP. <laughs> And then we'll use it whenever we need to use it. Maybe even on Jonathan Chama Chacha. If, okay. if, if it's appropriate. If it's also, we, uh, yeah, it, I, I agree with you. It's a bigger game for Duke. Yeah. 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 I agree with you. No matter what happens, it's not going to lead get up. Yes. Number 11, North Carolina versus number seven, Oklahoma. Hey, there, there's you. You looking for a top 15 matchup. That's what you got today. It's in Charlotte. It's a big one. Nada will be on hand, by the way, making the short drive over to the Spectrum Center. And everywhere tonight. We're going to be everywhere tonight. We are going to be. We really are. We're all over the place. None of us will be uh, will be at home here. Oklahoma 10-0 and and looking to continue um, just an outstanding start to the season. Uh, if you have not yet gotten eyes on J.B. McCollum, Otega Owe, and uh, Milos Yuzan, that's a good team. UNC here at 7-3. and um, You know, it's 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 in a similar situation to Duke, although Duke had higher preseason expectations, North Carolina did that rodeo last year. And, oh boy, yeah. I mean, UNC gave a good push against Kentucky. It gave a good push against UConn and then eventually got uh, got overwhelmed here. Man, a win over Oklahoma would, uh, would soothe some concerns for sure uh, because... Carolina fans are aware of this, but almost everyone else is most certainly not. It's got a game against Charleston Southern next week, but then UNC will open ACC play with three road games against Pitt, which has a solid team so far this season. Clemson, which might win the ACC. We'll see. And then against in a rivalry game against NC State. So uh, it will be a panic. Why do you have to open with three straight road games? (laughs) I have no idea. And this is the kind of thing, and I don't know this is the case at all. I'm just talking out loud here because you hear it like over the years, you hear stories from coaches or commissioners and people that work in athletics. That's the kind of thing where if it happens to some schools, coaches behind the scenes will raise absolute hell. What do you mean you're going to make us start playing league play with three consecutive road games? Now, they get three of the final four at home, although it's home Miami, home NC State, home Notre Dame, and then they close at Duke. Um, but yeah, if you're the ACC, you're doing UNC like this. If Florida State's already angling to get out of the ACC. Don't think UNC is that far behind. I, this kind of stuff doesn't help matters. That's all I'll say. I, I 
in fairness, I knew this was going to happen when they let Mike Shashevsky start taking over scheduling. Yeah, that's true. I knew he was going to do this. Yeah, you think he's you think he's sorting data, <laughs> getting yes. the, matri the matrices going over there, and <laughs> that's what Mike is doing. People don't realize that he's still got that that serious XM show, and he's also now in charge of ACC schedule. If you actually occasionally they'll put out a clip on social media where he'll be talking like he had one with Caitlin Clark earlier this week. If you watch carefully, every so often his eyes will drift off camera, and you can see he's got a big notepad there, yeah. big yellow notepad, different names, different combinations. He's always at work on it, no doubt about it. That's right. That's right. So, um, North Carolina fans, you know where to direct your anger and frustration. That's a, that is, but that is a big one. Baylor, Baylor, Duke, and Oklahoma, UNC is one heck of a uh, of a one-two here on on Wednesday, and that's and that's far from the only stuff. What else we got, GP? Also tonight, Villanova at number twelve, Creighton. It's a nice Big East game. It's a good Big Big East game, and. Uh, it's a game where, like, you know, if Nova loses, there's not going to be any kind of surprise. But if you can if you can pick this game off here, um, would add even more intrigue to the Big East race. Nova right now is seven and four, not expected to win. Creighton, meanwhile, you know, coming off the really nice win against Alabama, but it did get it could get taken down by UNLV in the game before that. So that's uh that's a good game. It's a quality matchup, and uh, it's one of many worth keeping an eye on. And then Late tonight, Alabama against number four, Arizona in Phoenix. Is Tommy Lloyd crazy? It feels like he just said, it feels like he would just answer his phone and somebody would be like, yo, man, I'd like to play you this season. He's like, sure, let's do it. This isn't even the end of it. They got FAU in a few days as well. <laughs> Tommy, it feels like Tommy Lloyd just, he would get a call and he would forget that he had already agreed to play somebody else and be like, sure, yeah, I'll do, I'll do you too. And then I'll do, and he looks up, he's like, Man, why I got all these games? <laughs> we talked about this because I talked with them around that Duke game, and I can't remember what he said exactly, but it was basically like people think I'm out of my mind, and he's like, "No, man, like you know, I think we got a good team, and I want to play. I want to play games that matter against. And hey, I, I appreciate it, but you're extending the philosophy out to its maximum end here. And hey, listen, to this point, it's it's absolutely working. Alabama's a similar spot here, though. Yeah, playing three straight top 10 opponents during non-conference play. That's never happened in the program's history. And Alabama's maybe the weirdest resume in the sport right now. It has scored. How about this? Last year was a one number one overall seed. This team is outscoring last year's team in the first 10 games by 90 points. So it's, it's dropping 92 a game. And for as good as last year's team was, this team offensively is even better. It rates number one points per possession. Uh, shouts to Evan Miyakawa. He uh, he sent this out earlier this week. He said in his model right now, this game, the predicted total is 175.6. It's the second highest score for the entire season. Uh, 91.85 is the projected uh, outcome here for this game. Arizona 91, Bama 85. Um, that's because both these teams can score. They love to get up and down the floor. This game has... Uh, Great potential to be amazingly entertaining and maybe decided in the final few possessions in like a 98, 96 kind of way. Or you got teams that love to run and can score. It could really get away from one in a hurry. And while maybe in a game like this, down 12, maybe it feels like you're only down four. Uh, it also has blowout potential. But that's another one. That's 11 Eastern tip on ESPN. Uh, I don't know the reason. And I'm not complaining whatsoever. Wednesday nights are normally NBA nights on ESPN. But here in this one, for whatever reason, maybe it's because they trade off for the Christmas games, et cetera, et cetera. You've got uh, a triple header on ESPN in addition to Dan Hurley going back to his alma mater, coaching against Seton Hall. Keep an eye on that one. We'll see. This is actually a huge, that's a huge spot for Seton Hall to really make a dent. Um, 
because I think it's still got a chance to, to be a player in the biggie. So yeah, this is a, this is a tremendous Wednesday before we head into a just okay weekend with Christmas just around the corner. And really one notable game on Thursday. We'll get out of here on this. It of course will be number nine, Kentucky at Louisville. I'll give you Louisville plus 15 right now at home. You take it. Okay. No, I'm not taking that plus 15. No. Um, Mark Ennis, who does a great job covering Louisville, uh, host of the drive down there. Um, I think I do a great job covering Louisville. Okay. You got nothing on Mark Ennis, though. Apparently, well, that goes without this saying. morning. So this is the quote from Kenny Payne this morning. And this is the uh, listen. Maybe there's more. There's probably more context needed around this. But weekly, Kenny Payne is delivering us. Uh, he's delivering us a, a quote we're sharing. He said, at the end of the day, I know Cal wants to beat me down and I want to beat him by one. Okay. At the end of the day, Cal wants to beat me by as many points as possible. Me, I'm good. I just want to beat. I want to beat Kentucky by one point. All right, then. Sounds uh, sounds good. There's also a promotion apparently where uh, they're trying to get the students who are on break to wear these red Louisville shirts. Uh, I mean, you would think there's going to be more blue than red in that arena tomorrow. And if so, but it is a rivalry it- game, and may, maybe the fan base rallies. But this is the kind of thing. GP that we talked about earlier because Payne's going to coach in this game. I mean, if it goes this way tomorrow where Kentucky wins 83 to 60, right? And there's more blue than red in the arena. Like, what have you done to Kenny Payne? Like, was this really actually worth it to do no, this? Like, I mean, it was not. Now, maybe it doesn't. Maybe, maybe Louisville has an all time rivalry game and they keep it close and the fans show up. Hey, you know what? Frankly, I'd like to see that because it would be more compelling. But if it goes the other way, this is going to be hate to say I told you so. I do not hate to say I told you so. I love to say I told you so. It's my favorite thing to do. All right? And this is exactly what I would have wanted to avoid. Like, there is a worst-case scenario tomorrow that becomes humiliating for Kenny and for the program, and you could have avoided that with an interim coach. Like, yeah, the result might have been exactly the same, or maybe not. But Kenny Payne will be trending on Thursday, if this goes badly. And if it, I really do think there's three things that could make where on Friday we're talking about a Friday news dump going into a holiday weekend. Louisville is making a coaching change. You see more blue than red in the Yum Center, which should never be the case. Mm-hmm. Again, this isn't Kentucky going to play it. I'm not even going to name a program because I'm not trying to be disrespectful. This is Louisville. This is one of the 10 best basketball programs of all time. And you're probably about to get pounded at home by your in-state rival with more of their fans watching in person than yours. You get more blue than red in there. You get blown out. And then give me one embarrassing thing that happens for Louisville, either in the game or in the press conference, and that'll do it. And it should. Yeah, uh, we will wait and see on all of that. But uh, that, by the way, this is six Eastern tip on Thursday. Weirdly placed tip time. I feel like that game is always at a. Odd it's time. always. It, it's never on the same day. Never on the same time. Never on the like, same. Like, like I've been to that game a yeah. bunch, and it's like, oh yeah, we're tipping off at four <laughs> on a weekday. It's always. I, I, it feels like it's always something like yeah, that. Yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's. Tell you for for as great as the rivalry is, it's not Ohio State Michigan. It's never. It's never kicking shortly after noon. Saturday after Thanksgiving, it's always all over the place. I did have one thing I want to get out of here on because, mm-hmm. uh, and I put this, uh, <laughs> this just feels like it needed to be included on the pod real quick. So the, uh, the summit league and the big sky are part of, you know, there's a bunch of mid-major leagues doing these challenges where, you know, they're playing against each other. Like, you know, we got the, uh, the ACC, the SEC, the big East, big 12. 
Um, and so they the schools announced this earlier this week and they put out a, a press release. And I, I have to commend these commissioners for having the foresight for such a revolutionary tie-breaking concept here. Um, so, you know, there's an equal number of teams in the league. And if there's a tiebreaker, what would you think the tiebreaker would be in a situation like this? Head to head. Right. Head to head and then and then point margin. But if if that is equal, the tie I, I'm going to read this directly from the Big Sky's press release. If there is a tie in points following the conclusion of all contests, the first tiebreaker will be total margin of victory. If there is still a tie following the calculation of margin of victory, the coup, the two commissioners will compete in an arm wrestling contest at the final four to determine the champion. Hell yes. Yes. How great is this? I would like to watch arm wrestling. Are you How a good arm wrestler? Are you? Do you think you're a good arm wrestler? Absolutely not. No, I'm terrible. I'm terrible too. No. And well, you and me, you're beating me. No, I doubt. think I would beat you. I think I'm stronger than you. You're. You're. You are. I uh, listen. I. I got you on. I got you on height. You've got me on strength and stockiness. I mean, look bolts. at that. Yeah. I mean, look at that. Right You've there. got that. I, I've never professed to be a, a good arm wrestler. Uh, my my strength lies in my uh, in my in my speed, in my quick twitch, in my skiing ability. It's not in my arm strength. But I'm going to give credit to Josh Fenton and uh, and Wistershill, the uh, the commissioner at the Big Sky. Fenton's the commissioner at the Summit League. You know what? It's almost definitely not going to come down to this. But please. Please let it come down to this. The idea that commissioners are doing an arm wrestling just for show at the final four to determine a mid-major head-to-head uh, -head series. I think it's fantastic. I had to give them props before we go. I'm more of a thumb wrestler myself. Ooh, it's been a minute since I've thumb wrestled. Thumb wrestling. You know what, though? Look at these bad boys. Bend your thumb back as far as it can. Like that? Uh, look at this bad boy right here. Look at that. You could. You, well, what is going on with you? That's right. Look at that, baby. You could serve pizzas on that's, your thumb. Uh, I mean, I'm delivering entrees left and right on this bat. You, you don't want to mess with this. Oh, buddy, Jesus Christ! Yeah, you, 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 you don't want any of this right now. Okay, coming right for you. My God, that's it. Right I've never, I've never known you're one of us more than I know right now. Okay. There we go. It's a wrap. Let's go. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle Legends. Shouts to Huck Larnell. Shouts to Glorilla FNF. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. There's more of us. Do that thing again. There's more of us. Do it all the way. Woo! 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 Woo, buddy. We should start our OnlyFans. Let's go. We should start our OnlyFans with that. Spotify, Apple, more of us than there are of them. That's got to be reflected in the comments. Go give us the five stars just based on Norlander's thumbs alone. Whatever you think about me. Give a like if you've not. Like, like it, like it. There we go. Woo, we should start at OnlyFans. Woo. Whatever you think of me, when you're rating and reviewing, you think of those thumbs. Rate those thumbs. Are those five-star thumbs? Yeah, and I need a five-star review. We'll talk to you again Friday. Till then, take care.